Okay, folks, let's continue our uh, study through Psalm chapter 23. Continue our study through Psalm 23. Uh, so if you go ahead and find that, we'll look at just the second verse of Psalm 23. Psalm 23, verse 2. Um, David writes in Psalm 23, 2. He says, He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still water. So these are our two images, our two symbols that are in the poetic language of the Psalms that, that David is using to, to carry, to, to bring forward some biblical point. Um, understanding, of course, this is an Old Testament, Psalms is an Old Testament book, but that when we interpret the Psalms, to rightly interpret it, we always interpret the Old Testament in the light of the New. The New Testament tells us what the Old Testament is about. And so for that reason, we're going to, we're going to approach Old Testament passages today with kind of a New Testament idea. Um, I'll just begin with this. The author, uh, Susan Shepman, writing for Proverbs 31 Ministries. Some of you probably have been online to look at that before. Defines green pastures. And that's one of those symbols, green pastures. She writes this. And I don't think this is complete. I'm just using this as an example. Um, she said that green pastures... Uh, could be, could say, being a mother. Bubble baths or great books and crawling into bed, anticipating a good night's sleep. I could add dining out with my husband, rocking my grandchildren and talking, uh, taking an afternoon nap. Green pastures are the times and places in life that restore and refresh our souls from the ordinary wear and tear of the daily grind. Jesus desires to lead us to a place of quiet water out of the storms of life. However, we must look around our mundane lives to discover our local green pastures and then scurry to the side of the shepherd so they can make us lie down in them. Um, I think the word she uses there, mundane, is an appropriate response. I, I'm, not, I'm not criticizing the, the lady that wrote this at all. I think we all do this. I think especially Psalm 23 can be regarded by ourselves as intensely practical. That Psalm 23 is written for when there's a tragedy. It's written for when there's hardship in my life. It's written for just when I'm tired. I go to Psalm 23. When work is hard, I go to Psalm 23 and I see truth right there that helps me get through. I'm not saying that that is not an, another application of Psalm 23. It certainly is. But guys, Psalm 23 is going to lead us to places that are so much more important than just making our way through a difficult time of life. Psalm 23 is more important than having a, than having a problem at work and need, need a little scripture to go with it. And the reason I would say that most specifically is because logic tells us the times at work pass, don't they? You're unhappy right now. Next week or next month or next year, you may be joyous. Or it may be good right now and bad tomorrow. So for that reason, um, we always look beyond just the daily when we, we try to deal with the encouraging words of the Scripture. Now look, our Lord does promise us green pastures in temporal ways. There's no doubt about that. We're going to have to cling to at least the example that we know what a green pasture is. We know what it's like to look out into the natural world and see something that we find soothing. That we find soothing. Yesterday... Um, it might embarrass you, but I'll tell it anyway. Yesterday, Suzanne and I were, were just in the kitchen just doing nothing, really just getting ready for supper that night. And we looked out the back window, 
and we saw a little spotted fawn running along the, the, uh, the fence there. And of course, we're both kind of wondering where Mama was, and she was slow. It took her a little while to get up there, I guess. So the fawn had already sort of pranced around and then ran down in the, in the, um, then ran down in the little gully there. And then when Mama comes, you can see her freaking her ears trying to find him. And she just she locates him. His, apparently his camouflage works even works as good on Mama as it does on everything else that's supposed to eat it. Okay, but here's the point. The point is this: is that for a brief moment, the natural world brought a, a kind of a soothing feeling to a tired day. Just watching that deer was intoxicating. It was. We kind of wish just a little bit she'd have danced around even more. Do you understand what I mean? Because it was nice to see that. So the natural world can bring us that kind of solace. Man, there's no doubt about that. The natural world can do that for us. Certainly. However, however, we're always, we still want to look beyond that. The ultimate are, um, in, ultimately, these promises are fulfilled in eternal ways. The fulfillment of the need to recline and find restful, restfulness in still heavenly waters instead of the raging torrents of condemnation. Everything the Bible talks about may begin in, in my right now, my today, but it always, folks, ends, it always ends in glory. It always points toward heaven. So whenever we see a passage, we're looking for one main point. We're looking for the cross in every passage of Scripture. And I would say this, just... just Brother to brother, family member to family member, friend to friend, pastor to, to people I deeply care about. If I see too much of my, of my everyday life in a passage, I'm probably not worth looking deep enough. It's not that it's not about that. It's that there's a greater blessing for me than just dealing with right now. Because I'll get through right now. I'll make it through this. What I need is... Is, is eternal help. So, let's keep looking. Both literally in, in pastoral images and figuratively in the terms of the tranquility associated with a life of submission to and nurturing from our Lord and Savior, God promises in this verse an essential element of His sustaining of human life and faith. What He promises us in this idea of green, of green pastures and still waters is that He's going to take care of us, not just moment by moment and day by day and year by year, but He's going to take care of us all the way up to eternity. That every need we're ever going to have is going to be met. And, and the more they grow, the more we're going to see the glory in God. Now, I've used this as an example before. I remember being a teenager, and the biggest prayer I had was passing a test. was just petitioning God to help me pass a test that I had not studied for. And he didn't always deliver because he pretty much was a father and made me take my medicine most of the time, brothers and sisters who teach school. But the truth is, that's a small matter. Whether he blesses me to pass the test or not, my life isn't going to change radically. But as my life has grown in brothers and sisters in complexity, I need him more and more. The prayers are more urgent, aren't they? The prayers are vital. As I grow older, I'm depending on these prayers. I'm depending on God meeting these needs that I'm expressing to Him. And He does that because that shows His glory. All the way up to the moment in which we're spilled over into heaven and the final state of man, and He meets every need. And He becomes our total focus. 
The promise of what comes after our time is finished. That's the ultimate fulfillment of this. Is that when our life is over, He has an unbelievable master plan for eternity. The best way to explain the gospel significance of this concept that we see in green pastures and still waters expressed in Psalm 23 too, is to compare it thematically with a salvation rich passage from the Old Testament. I'm going to try to do my best to connect 23 2, Psalm 23 2, to a passage from the book of Ezekiel in Ezekiel chapter 34, verses 11 through 16, because this is an idea that once again doesn't point to my ease. And I admit, when my life is chaotic, when my life is a catastrophe, when it borders on a tragedy, I need some help. Help that, I mean, I know I'm going to get through it, but I need some help. Because I can feel faith starting to crumble a little bit. I can feel my regard for my God being stretched so thin, like, like two little butter spread over too much bread. I can feel that. I need Him right there. But, but ultimately remember... The word ultimate is one of our themes for the day, if you want to look at it that way. Is that ultimately God fulfills that, not in easing me through that tough time, but in bringing me to heaven. Because in heaven I'm not going to have any more problems. In heaven I'm not going to have any more urgent needs to be cried out for in heaven. Because everything's going to be joy. Perfection. So let's look. Prophet Ezekiel, Ezekiel 34 verse 16. And I added emphasis through this because there was. So if you see, if you're looking at the notes and you see italicized, you know, italicized words, I put those there, okay. And I did that because I'm going to call attention to a turn of phrase that God uses through Ezekiel over and over and over again. He's he's repeating himself here for for emphasis, and it can we can blow right by it and not see it. So I think it it shares with us three doctrinal points that I really have to make for you right now. Just three points. First verses, 11 through 12. For thus says the Lord God, Behold, I, my, I, I myself will search for my sheep and will seek them out. As a shepherd seeks out his flock when he is among his sheep that have been scattered, so will I seek out my sheep and I will rescue them from all places where they've been scattered on a day of clouds and thick darkness. Now I believe there's a twofold answer to this. One is that our Lord is going to he states clearly, he's going to seek out sheep that have been scattered. Some of which are scattered and just to be quite bluntly don't know they're sheep. They're not sheep yet. They're going to be claimed out of darkness into marvelous light. But they have yet to be claimed. They've yet to be called. Add to that the idea that sheep that know they're sheep can, can go slightly astray on occasion, can't we? So there is that, that idea. Remember Christ perched there above Jerusalem and in calling it, saying this is the city that, 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 that murdered the prophets. How I've desired to, to gather you under my wings. This is the shepherding effect of the eternal God who looks now, listen to me, at, at people who've never known they were His, but He's calling them to Himself, and those who are His, but have managed somehow to take a step or two off that straight and narrow path that our God is seeking both of those groups. And because He is infinitely great, He easily manages both groups. He will not miss one single one of His. Not one of His will perish. And at the same time, not one of His that stepped off the path is going to be able to stay off the path. Now, it's a hard truth there, right, guys? Because some of us have stepped off the path and realized that God's getting you back on the path is sometimes a gentle urging, and sometimes it's the woodshed. 
Because our God will do anything to hold on to us. That's, that's why we persevere. Not by our strength, but by God's strength. That's how we manage to hang on to God, because He hangs on to us. And God will literally do whatever it takes. Whatever it takes to hang on to us. The Lord Himself searches for the lost sheep. That's the very first thing. When we talk about salvation, we don't talk about this being a world in which men and women seek God and find Him or don't find Him. We talk about this being a world in which the shepherd of the sheep seeks the sheep. It's not a sheep's job to, to seek the shepherd, is it? Sheep are too dumb. They're too weak and fragile and clueless to find the shepherd. Shepherds find sheep. Sheep don't find shepherds. The shepherd doesn't wait for the sheep to gather to him. The shepherd goes out and finds those sheep. God is doing that very thing right now. He is searching for lost sheep. Those of the children of Israel are unwittingly scattered among the nations, will be found neither by chance nor by their own crying out to be found, but by the will and purpose of their God. We don't have to seek Him because He is so actively seeking us as the shepherd of the sheep. It's clear scripture. Through the implementation of the gospel accomplishments. What I mean is that, is that the gospel that we preach, the good news of Jesus Christ, that we go out and we witness and we testify to, that has become the song of our hearts, that was before it became good news. It was a list of things that Christ was going to do and finally declare Tadalestai, it's finished. Right? It was the manger to the cross, to the grave, to resurrection, to ascension. Jesus does all those things He has prophesied to do. Every single box is checked. Everything that He had to do, He did. So that He could be the Savior of all mankind. Christ the Savior will seek out the chosen by way of the proclamation of His saving message. There's a proclamation of the gospel. So this idea of Jesus seeking lost sinners to save their souls comes forth by the work of the proclamation of the gospel. Like what we're doing right now. I declare the, the blood of the risen Savior is the antidote for the sins of the world. That those who are condemned by their sins can be washed clean by the blood of Jesus and made whole in Christ. Once condemned to hell, now are welcomed into heaven. I declare that as the gospel because that is exactly what it is. But at the same time, he doesn't just use the proclamation of his saving message, but he also sends his body, the church, among the lost as his sheep in a wicked world. So not only are we proclaiming the gospel, listen to me, you believers are going out into the world. You are the message given feet. Because there are lost people in your life that don't listen to this broadcast. There are lost people in your life that don't come into this church. There are lost people in your life that don't go to church anywhere. And some of them are of, the, are of the children of God yet to be claimed by the gospel. And their only way capable, the only way in which they are capable of hearing the gospel is if it sprouts legs in your life and goes out there and goes with it, and goes with you. So it's not just me proclaiming it, no matter what technology we got. It's not just me proclaiming it. I could write it down and mail it to him, it doesn't matter. It's not just me proclaiming it. It's you proclaiming it through your life. It's you proclaiming it through private witness. So we are part of this work of God to claim those that are His among the nations. 
And we are that because we hear the gospel, are changed by the gospel, we believe and we repent, we become, we become Christians, and then we take the message with us. Our immersion in the world is a temporary sacrifice that brings the lost in contact with the redeemed for the efficient witness of the holy truth. It's, for lack of a better term, it is a necessary suffering. Any of us who thinks about the scriptures, who really thinks hard about the scriptures, wishes it was salvation and separation. I wish I was saved and I look back and I never saw any of the world, world again. My life would be so better if I had absolutely no interaction with the lost world. Because the lost world doesn't bring anything holy to me. It only hurts me. It only brings me temptation. But the fact of the matter is God has left us in the midst of temptation like, um, like uh, sheep among the wolves. Because his body has to go forth and carry his message. It is a necessary sacrifice. By way of Christ's epic accomplishments on Calvary, the lost and dying are now rescued from every snare into which they have been entrapped. There is no snare so deep, there is no place so lost, so black and so dark, that the power of God and the gospel of God cannot reach in there and claim those that are His. There's no way. There's no place to go. The fact of the matter is God will claim those that belong to Him. He declares it. It's not, it's not accidental. This is what the passage means. Second, verses 13 through 14, he says this, And I will bring them out from the peoples and gather them from the countries, and I will bring them into their own land, and I will feed them on the mountains of Israel by the ravines and in all the inhabited places of the country. I will feed them with good pasture on the mountain heights of Israel. shall be their grazing land. There they shall lie down in good grazing land and on rich pasture. They shall feed on the mountains of Israel. The work of Christ is to remove those who are called out of the darkness of this world so that they may live in and to the glory of the kingdom of God. Now listen, we still have contact with this world. But God very much means that through discipleship, through, through, uh, through joining the church and actively pursuing Christ together, that we are as separate from the, from the world as we can be. God did not save us out of the muck and mire of a lost life to continue in that in that shame. Now I'll be, I'll, I'll be blunt with you. I don't want to. I can't. I don't know everybody's journey in this room. They are to some extent unique. But I know this. I was one of those people that fled to the cross from shame and fear. It was save me or kill me, because I couldn't live with myself one more minute. I couldn't live with the consequences of my sin. I didn't, I didn't have fun in that world. I hated myself in that world. I wanted as far away from it as I can get. And I understand everybody hasn't had the same journey. Everyone's a sinner. But everyone hasn't had the same journey and everyone hasn't had the same sin. The punishment's equal. The crimes are not. The crimes are not. But the reality is that, that born-again believers understand that, that the world, we're through with the world. We've got to understand that. We've got to understand that the world holds nothing for us. That there's nothing good there. There's nothing holy. There's nothing we need. And everything it offers is something that hurts and wounds us. So as much as he's leaving us there to be that lingering, that continuing, that, that wonderful witness to his glory, there is also, now listen to me, there is also 
No doubt about it. There is a desire among our God to separate us out for His glory. In defiance of the curse of sin and the humiliation of futility, the Lord promises through the prophets and the gospel that the people of Christ will have a new land, green pastures, flowing with resources, and able to sustain us as we flourish. He is an affront to the world. Yet yeah, we, will, we will weep sometimes. And we will, we will be heartbroken sometimes. But the reality is this, is that we can show the world that God constantly and consistently meets every need. That we as believers do not do without. What we sacrifice, we sacrifice for the good and the glory of God. But what we give up is nothing compared to what we gain. And He's always met our needs. And I'll tell you this much. If you go out and you do a reassessing, a, an inventory, an inspection of your life, and think about every single time when you thought it was the end and God saved you and God delivered you. Every single time you thought this is what it was, all it was going to take and you were over and God met those needs. Small or great, God met those needs. Everyone that was truly something you need, God met. Why? Because He's preparing right now in ways we have to, we have to look for leading to something that, that no one can ignore. The green pastures. The flowing resources. The flourishing. No longer men and women held back by the impact of lack, want, and need. The whole world is governed by those three things. Lack, not having enough. Want, wanting something so desperately. And need, having a need that's not met. The whole world languishes under those curses. And we as the church of the living God have been delivered from that. It doesn't mean we won't be hungry sometimes. It doesn't mean we won't be tired. It doesn't mean we won't be sick. It means that our God now, who before gave us only His common grace, now pours out upon us His charity, His loving grace. By way of His infinite mercy and His matchless grace, God will feed us and sustain us throughout the ages to come. When people join together legitimately in, in, in New Testament salvation with the body of Christ, they join together with a God who provides their needs. Finally, verses 15 through 16, Ezekiel writes, I myself will be the shepherd of my sheep, and I myself will make them lie down, declares the Lord. And I will seek the lost, and I will bring, bring back the strayed, and I will bind up the injured, and I will strengthen the weak and the fat and the strong. I will destroy. I will feed them in justice. The final passage illustrates the love of Christ expressed through His infinite sovereignty. As will every section of this passage, the infinite, excuse me, the emphasis is placed on the English phrase, I will. This is not, verses 11 through 16 of Ezekiel chapter 34 are not a collection of things you need to do. They are a collection of promises from God. Everything that, is, that needs to be met from salvation through sanctification is part of the promise of God. He will do this. Here's the, here's the truth. I need to pray, and I need to petition my God, and I need to offer myself in supplication. I need to plead with God on behalf of others, and I need to obey, but I don't need to do anything else. There's nothing that I can do that is impactful because God has promised to do it all. Everything. Not just by the ways the world understands. Ravages of time, circumstances, some form of, of, 
of, of, of unsentient faith, but by the direct action of the living God in maintaining and controlling history, in, in directing every action from the least to the greatest, Christ will liberate his people from the captivity of sin and the world. He's going to deliver them to the promised land of the eternal kingdom. And he's going to feed and secure them with his love and bring justice to their lives and land. God gives us everything we need, including justice. It's the final thing. That, final, that, that one thing that, I mean, it's not a, it's not a meal to eat or, or money to pay a bill or, or more health or all those things we can pray for. Finally, we've gotten down to something that's, that's not concrete but abstract. God says, I'm going to bring you what you've cried for in the night. That itch that can never be scratched. I'm going to bring you an end to injustice. And I'm going to bring justice to the land. Ultimately, everything that people need, including fairness and equity, God brings. He's not going to leave injustice. He's not going to say, oh, well, you've got to deal with that. Because we say that. Life's not fair. Because it's not. Life's terrible. And good people are hurt all the time, and bad people seem to flourish until God takes over. Until that final stroke when our Lord has made every single enemy a footstool under his feet, including death. When that happens, injustice dies too. Justice reigns, flowing down. That's what's going to happen. That's his final promise. And I'm going to meet every concrete need, and I'm going to meet every abstract need. Nothing you could ever cry out to me for is going to be unanswered, including justice. God does this because he is great, because he's glorious, because he's stamping upon our lives and the kingdom, the eternity that is his defining characteristic. I want to compare that to another passage. In Solomon, uh, Solomon writes in Ecclesiastes 3.11, he has made everything beautiful in its time. Also, he has put eternity into man's heart. Yet so that he cannot find out what God has done from the beginning to the end. His stamp of eternity prevents what man can know. The limitations that are the definition of our nature. Sin, shame, guilt, condemnation are removed in salvation. As we are gathered to Christ in his saving embrace and in death at this point, we are fully able to see the glory of God in all his splendor. See that eternity that was stamped on our hearts that hides some things of the nature of the living God from the thought of man is now removed with the flesh. It's the veil that is now gone. And all his splendor as the flesh is stripped away. As corruption fades, as guilt dies, and eternity reigns over our hearts and minds. Look, all this comes to us because gospel salvation is the will of God created by his very hands. So as we do this today, as we go out today, Rely on God. Because whether it's your salvation or your final destination in heaven, understand this much, that it is all in the hands of the Master. Let's pray.